Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is. Welcome to Nerdlog. Today's episode will be pretty normal. We have a topic at the beginning of the show featuring Marlon Wright again as a co-host, and then we will delve into the Nerdlog itself with reviews of Frostheart by Jamie Littler and The Messenger played on the PlayStation 4. So, let's start the show. Topic of the show, The Console Wars. So today's topic, I have Marlon back with me. What's up? We are going to tackle the huge discussion of the console wars. Oh, God. So when I say console wars, Marlon, what's the first thing you think PlayStation of? versus uh, Xbox. Okay. Let's actually, I'm, we're going to go over our experiences just with consoles okay. to begin with. Okay. My family, they did have an Atari, okay? Okay. I know that was... Yep. Marlon is a little younger than I am. I am. I think by... Six, seven years? Yeah. So, and the Atari was before me, but I had brothers who were eight years older than me. So, they did have an Atari 2600. But, after that, we were pretty much a Nintendo family. Okay. We had the the NES. We had the SNES. We had the Nintendo 64. Mm -hmm. At the time of the Nintendo 64... Later on, we did get a PlayStation because the N64 and the PlayStation came out the same. Right. They were the same generation. Okay. After the N64, you had the Nintendo GameCube. Right. Okay. Yep. So that generation was the GameCube, the Xbox, and the PlayStation 2. Mm -hmm. We got the GameCube because, like I said, we were still Nintendo family. Zelda, Mario, yep. Smash Brothers. For the GameCube, Super Smash Brothers Melee, I still think that is the game I have put the most time into in my entire life. Yes. The clock, there's like, if you went to the menus, I believe, it would show you a clock with how many hours you put into right. it, and it stopped. <laughs> it was like 9999 at 99. I can see that. So, I can see that for you. Every New Year's, we would go and we would play. You could play, I think it was called stock mode, where you had a certain number of lives. Okay. Because usually it was like you just killed each other for three minutes right. and whoever had the most won. Right. But you could put it on whoever had the most lives. Okay. And for New Year's Eve, me and two of my other brothers, we would put it on a hundred lives. Oh, God. <laughs> so we would be playing for hours. Right. And we'd put a computer on there, too, but they always, they, I yeah, mean, they, they, the they died pretty quickly. And we always, there was always a certain level. I think it was one of the Mario levels, I want to say, that we always played on. Mm -hmm. Or one year we put it on, the listeners have played Super Smash Brothers Melee, which I'm sure a lot of you have if you're listening to this. Hyrule Castle <laughs> for Super, for Smash Brothers Melee, if you get down below the castle in the underground, it can take five to six minutes to kill somebody once just because there's so much bouncing going on. Yes, okay. And they never fly off the screen. Mm -hmm. So you can end up, you know, it gets, I don't know if you play, have you played Smash Bros? Okay. The more percentage your character has at the bottom, right? the, the harder, I mean, the more they fly when oh, you hit right, them. Right, right, okay? okay. So usually when you get around 80 Hundred percent. Right, you can kind of kick them you off can, screen. You can kill them. Right. Okay. If you in this match, it was not wasn't unheard of to get to like three hundred or four hundred percent. Nice. Okay. 
So you could, you could literally just fart on somebody and they would fly across the screen. So right. one Christmas, I mean, one New Year's Eve, we did that level for 100 lives. That'd be 500 to 600 minutes <laughs> times three people. That's we, insane. We were up there a while, and it got it got pretty competitive. Yeah. I think we even had to take bathroom breaks on that one. <laughs> but anyway, so we played the Nintendo GameCube. After that, I think we did get an Xbox okay. at some point. Mm-hmm. That was sort of the secondary console. Most anything we played on the GameCube. Then next generation was the generation of the Wii. Right. The Xbox 360 mm-hmm. and the PlayStation 3. Right. We did not get a Wii because okay. my brothers had moved out. Well, had mostly moved out, and one of my brothers had bought a place uh, Xbox three sixty. Okay, so that was the console that I had that generation because I didn't have money. I was like your own. fifteen or sixteen. Right. Later on, I did end up getting a PS three, mm-hmm. but that was like eight years later, like right, right almost when the PS four came out. Gotcha. So then you had the Xbox three sixty. That was the thing in my household. And then the next generation was PS4, Xbox One, mm-hmm. and the Wii U, sort of. Sort Nobody really even knew what it yeah. was. But for that generation, I will say I switched completely to Sony mm. because of the way Microsoft completely screwed up the release of the Xbox One. Okay. They did a couple of things that made people mad. Right. One thing they wanted you to be... Completely online all the time. Interesting. Even if you wanted to play a single player game. Right, you had to be online. You had to be online. (laughs) And when asked, I think it was one of the top execs, when asked in an interview, they said, hey, what if you want to play offline and you don't have internet connection? Right. The guy literally said, well, that's why we have the Xbox 360. Interesting. Yeah, so basically he was saying, well, you know, screw you if you don't have internet. I mean, now, 10 years later or 15 years later, it's not that big of a deal. Right. Because pretty much... Well, now everyone has the opportunity of having internet for the most part. If you're living in a cave, you probably still have Wi-Fi. Right. (laughs) So they did that. Everybody hated that. Then they wanted to make it where every time you bought the game, bought the system, it had to come with the Connect 2. Oh, right. And it was always hooked up. So people were worried about, A, privacy. Right. Because you have a camera on. So people were like, mm-hmm. we're literally putting tape over it. Right. And the Connect sucked. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> My cousins had it for a little bit. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was fine, but it wasn't the best. The concept was great. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It, they were trying to match the Wii. Yes. But I don't think we had... The technology to do what they wanted to do. I agree. So they ended up having to roll that back and release a version of the Xbox One that didn't come with the Kinect. Okay. Okay. And then number three, which to me was the biggest blow is into why I went to PlayStation, Mm -hmm. was that they were going to charge you a fee to play a used game. Okay. So if I wanted to borrow a game from you, Mm -hmm. you would give me the disc. I would put it in my... Xbox, and then I would have to pay to a play. licensing fee to play that game. I never heard that. So that would that would cut out completely used sales, right? And it would cut out borrowing, which when I was younger, borrowing games that was, was actually a pretty big thing. Yeah, like if you had a group of friends, everybody would have a different game, mm-hmm. and then you swapped them around. Right. 
and then the the coup de gras <laughs> that PlayStation did. They released like a forty second video, mm-hmm. and it was called like the instructions on how to share your PlayStation games. And it was and it was two guys standing in a room, uh-huh. and the guy is holding a game, and he says. Here you go, and hands it to the guy, and that's like that's how you share it. And I was like, all right, that's it. Yeah. Plus, the specs of the PS4 were actually objectively better. Right. It was a more powerful system. Uh-huh. So, anyway, been Sony since. I have the PS5 now, though I do have the Xbox Series S just for any exclusives, which I'm still waiting on. <laughs> and I have a Switch, which the Switch has sort of been multi generational. Like, it was around when the PS4 was out. Right. Now the PS5's out, and it's still just the Switch. Mm-hmm. So, Nintendo, y'all need to step it up. Release something new. I mean, y'all just... All <laughs> the, <on a> map. <laughs> yeah, the hardware is... I mean, it was outdated when it was released. <laughs> when they released it, it was already less powerful than their competitors. Interesting. But Nintendo's sort of always done their, their own thing. Well, true. Because... You can only play Mario on Nintendo. Right. You can only play Zelda on Nintendo. on Nintendo. So they know they have that market. Right. So. And it's a pretty big market. So that's that was my history. Long history. Of <laughs> the consoles of my family. So what, what about you? Were y'all a, a Nintendo family? So we were. So my dad, I know we had a Super Nintendo growing up. My dad had a PlayStation that I don't think I ever played. Okay. Maybe Crash Bandicoot. Okay. I think. So like the original gray. Yeah, the original gray. The open up. Uh, yeah. Disc. Yep. But yeah, didn't didn't have any games for I guess us growing up, and then went from that I think into GameCube. Had the GameCube for a while, mainly just for Mario Party. So favorite GameCube game was. I like the Tarzan game. Okay. It, it sounds stupid, and I don't, I don't know why, but I remember that game being like more puzzles and strategy, and it was like the first, the first game I felt good at. Okay, how old were you? <sighs> Seven, okay. eight. I will say, when you're that age, those licensed games yes. are a lot better yes. than they actually are. And I think that was the same time too. My brother was watching like Tarzan two. Like okay, it had just come out, and he was just born. So he was watching that constantly, and I was like, I'm able to play the game to it? Yeah. I don't know. But I have that connection. And then, of course, the Mario Parties. Like, that was the reason I think we got the GameCube. And then from there, went straight to Wii. Um, we never got a PlayStation 2 or anything. Did y'all have uh, Wii Sports? We did. We had Wii Sports. We had, I mean, we had over, I would say, 60, 70, maybe even 80 games. Like, that was our Christmas present every year. It's like, you get a game or two. And there were three of us. Um, and then anytime like cousins would come over, we'd get the new Just Dance. So we had, we had all of the Wii games. So y'all were big into the motion. We were big controls. Well, yes, I loved them. Okay. My parents never really played. My brother played some. He was kind of young. But it was mainly just me and my cousins. Okay. And it was like perfect for our age. Um, we went straight from Wii, I think, into a PlayStation Three. Never owned an Xbox. Again, my cousins had them. Yeah. And we would play theirs every now and then, but never had an Xbox. Went straight to PS Three. Then PS4 and PS5. We do just got a Switch. I'm not super versed on it yet, but it seems pretty self-explanatory. So, question: As a let, let's just stop here and say, <laughs> from a one, which means 
you call every video game system a Nintendo, like my mom. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. There's okay. people yep. out there that still call yep. everything a Nintendo. Yes. To a 10 of, you know when every game's coming out, and you know you can name off the specs of every console there is. Okay. Where are you on the nerd video game level? Okay, so this is like a clear spectrum. Yeah. Um, if it was a 1 to 10, I would be probably like a 4? Okay. Maybe a five. Okay. Like, I enjoy the games. I want to play the games. I don't care to know a lot of the extra. Like, it was just kind of given to me as a kid, and, like, I wasn't really expected to understand it. It was just, like, I played it. Um, And then whatever friends were playing, so just casually nerd. I I think that's why you're a perfect fit for the show, because Mm -hmm. it is a contrast to me where I go into a GameStop. You're a 10. Yes. You're an 11. <laughs> <laughs> I go into a GameStop and I know more than all the clerks. Right. Okay. Right. I have to tell them about the games. <laughs> yeah. So I, let me was I'm not that annoying person you see at GameStop that will not leave. Okay? There are a few. There's always that geek that has that voice. Y'all know what I'm yeah. talking about. That like everybody knows that guy, and, and he will go in and he will stay there and talk for hours. And you don't know if he wants a job there or he just finally found some friends. Yes. Like. <laughs> They are paid. They are paid to stand there. Okay, yes. they are not, paid actors. Okay, I'm, so yeah. If you're that guy, I'm sorry. <laughs> there are people. There are other people like you because I swear every GameStop has one of those guys. So just go to a new GameStop. Yeah, yeah. And you could find Stop going to you, your normal GameStop. Go to the other. You find your buddy, but yeah. then maybe you, you're twin. But then you wouldn't be the guy that knows everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That'd be one struggling friendship. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. So anyway, so you said you you put yourself on a four or five. Yes. Okay. Did you know what a Wii U was? I did only because we had a Wii, and at some point I was like, we got to do more than the Wii because this is that was pretty much all we played when we had it. So I was like, we got to get this Wii U. And after, of course, I didn't get it the first Christmas or maybe even the second. But my parents were like, "Yeah, it's already, it's already not looking great. So we're just, just going to leave that alone." And I was like, "Okay." Yeah, the Wii U was sort of a failure, and that name, yeah. the naming convention of just putting a odd. U in front of Wii, right? Like you would think it was just an attachment you put on your Wii, and that's honestly kind of what I thought. Yeah, like I thought it was you use the same system. It's just one of the actual like instead of the Mario Kart wheel, yeah, exactly. I just had a, the U. But it was a completely new system. Yeah. So they should have named it something completely different. We too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the stupidest thing when it comes to Nintendo naming conventions is they had the 3DS. Right. And then they had the new 3DS. That was, it was literally, literally called the, the new? It was called the new 3DS. No. So you had 3DS and new 3DS. And how far apart were those? Four or five years, maybe. Oh, no. But the funny thing was, is you would go into a GameStop, and they would have... I want the new 3DS. No, you would go to the new section, and they would have new, new 3DS games. (laughs) Or you'd have a used new 3DS game. (laughs) And it got very confusing. confusing. Yes. So, Nintendo... (laughs) You gotta figure it out. Yeah. The Switch, you better not do the Switch U, okay? (laughs) Do the Super Switch. The Super Switch. Super Switch. (laughs) So, now you're on PS5 and Switch, you said? Yes. Okay. Through your life, have you ever felt like you had to own one console or the other? 
Yes. Uh, in middle school, all my friends had PlayStations. Okay. They, that, they were all playing Call of Duty. That was like what they had. And so, so that, that was, was like PS3? That was yeah, that was the reason I think that we got a PS3 and like finally did something other than the Wii. So it was kind of like me growing up and then all my friends had something else and we're all talking about something else at school. So it's like, I need that so I can talk about it too. And it was definitely a PlayStation 3. Have you ever met a PlayStation or an Xbox fanboy? No. Okay. No, luckily no. They exist. Oh, I've heard. And they they are one of the most annoying groups. Yeah, no. Because they are so toxic. <laughs> For either one? Yes. <laughs> Just play what you want to play, okay? Right. Find the system you want to play it on. Find whatever. If you like Gears of War... Go for Xbox. Honestly, I would just go for like how the thing fits my fingers. <laughs> like, yeah. Which controller you, feels best? If you got big hands, you're screwed on the Switch. Yeah. My, <laughs> or, the, or those PS3 controllers were super small. They were really small. Yeah. Looking back, yeah. I still think the PS4 or PS5 have the best controllers. I agree. I just I, can always think back to like the triggers on the Xbox. And I was like, I don't like this. I was like, this doesn't feel right. Do you remember the original Xbox original controller? Yes. It was like, That's it I was a chonker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's thick. That thing had eaten a little too much Burger King or something. Yeah, it was, yeah. And I think that's what I remember. Yeah. I think. That got so many complaints, they changed. The, like, they made it a little smaller. Because it was, that was bad. Yeah, and then the Xbox 360 controller was really good. Mm-hmm. So yep. there really hasn't been that many controller issues with the newer systems, except for Switch. The little Joy-Cons feel like you're going to yeah. break them. Yeah. They do have like the Pro Controller, which is more like just a normal, normal controller, which is better. But yeah. if you're just stuck with the... Just the Joy-Cons. Then, yeah, you sort of they feel... A little. Yeah. I actually saw in a GameStop a couple of days ago a mini controller for people with small hands. What? What are the ones for people with normal hands? Just a I, controller. No, that's what I'm saying. No. I thought it was made for like little dainty. This was probably like the Trump edition. Because he, he, he has tiny yeah. hands. Yeah. I just imagine it was probably, uh, it was like Cheeto colored. <laughs> it already had like a wasp hair on it. Yeah. it I was, couldn't imagine how small that would be. It was super small. It would have to be a child. Or somebody that had really, really, really yeah. small hands. I feel like you'd have to hold it just with your thumb and index finger. Yes. Have you seen the movie Deadpool? Yes. Okay. At one I point, have. he gets his hands cut off. Yeah. Oh, and, and he grows them back? And he grows them back, and they're yes. little tiny baby yes. hands? Yes. That's That's who could have used this controller. Okay, that's who it was for. So, fanboys, yes. avoid them. Mm-hmm. Just play what you want to play. Right. Do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You can be a fan of one of them. Being a fan and being a fanboy... Are two, very different two things. Good, yes. A fanboy will tell you you were wrong for having the other system. Like, it's right. a sin to have an right, Xbox. Right, right. I go more towards the PlayStation because I like the games that are on there. Right. But I don't have anything against somebody that plays so an Xbox. Get the other. Yeah. Right. And Nintendo, they're, they're not even really in the... No. There are Nintendo fanboys. I feel like... Yes. But I feel like Nintendo is... Just kind of there. It's like the family game. Exactly. And then the Xbox and the PlayStation are like, who's going to fight over like, what's left? Nintendo has been riding on nostalgia for 20 years. Exactly. But it's still working for them, so they're going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Mario 
like the two D the two D games yep. are sort of similar. Okay, mm-hmm. hot take: they're very very similar games, mm-hmm. but they're still fun. Right, even to today, right. just slap a new paint job on it and release it and call it good. Yeah. So the Nintendo fanboys sort of aren't as vocal. Because they know the system can't stack up <laughs> yes. graphically. Yes. Spec wise. And if it's a game like, say, Assassin's Creed that's going to release on both mm-hmm. systems, they know their version is not going right. to be as good. Right. They actually have some of their games, they have to run streaming just to be able to play it because the system specs can't play it. Interesting. Yes. I did not know that. I think the new Guardians of the Galaxy game, you cannot play without having to stream it. Huh. Yeah. So they're selling you a cart to put in the system to stream. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Which is weird. That so, is weird. So, anyway, for the console wars, I do believe it's a little silly. Yeah. I don't think there's any real difference in being one way or the other. Play what you want to play, don't be ashamed, and don't be a jerk about it. That's the console wars. Yeah, I'm not even really... I don't know if some people even knew there were console wars. It doesn't yeah. matter that much. <laughs> yeah, I, probably the like the, the generation now, what is it, Generation Z? Is it Z? I think it's Z. But anyway, I don't. they probably don't know there's no. console wars. That's no. more of a our, gener- Just our generation... And a little older, because there was the big Nintendo versus Sega. Yeah. Sega had that famous line where it's, Sega does what Nintendo don't. I did not know that either. That's one of the most epic lines. So, anyway, now I'm going to get into the Nerd Log reviews, and uh, thank you, Marlon, for joining us for that. Yeah, thanks. Initializing Nerd Log Reviews. So now that we are done with the topic, we're going to jump right on into the Nerdlog reviews. And we're going to start with the book first, like normal. So today's book is Frostheart by Jamie Littler. It was recommended to me by a number of different booktubers. There was a video I watched a few months ago about good palate cleansing books, like things you should read between like long series or darker subject matter series and stuff like that so this book was suggested there it is meant for a younger audience i wouldn't even say it's ya as ya tends to feature at least some cussing maybe some uh, sensual or sexual topics but this one is aimed i would say for middle school probably Probably somewhere around the same as like the Percy Jackson books or maybe like the first few Harry Potter books, probably in that same range. I would say the book would feel like it was meant for an older audience if it didn't have illustrations in the book, but the illustrations did add, I think, to the whimsical nature of the book and just the setting itself. And it's pretty cool because the author himself did the drawings. So he wrote the book and drew as well. So I believe that's pretty impressive. So jumping right on in as a pro, there's one there for you. The author himself was able to write the novel and then also illustrate it 
that sort of let us get into his head in a way that you usually can't with an author. You usually have to use your own imagination, and hopefully that matches up with whatever the author's vision was. But with this, there's a drawing every few pages or so. You really know what the author was trying to express through word. So that really helped. The story itself, very well done. Just for a general plot, it is a world that is covered in ice and snow. Think post-apocalyptic, but instead of deserts and sand like Mad Max, think just tundra, snow, ice everywhere. And then there's these outposts throughout this land of the remnants of humans, and then there's a few other races. There's like a race of humanoid walruses, and then there's some like humanoid fox characters, and just there's a couple of different types of races that are interesting. They're not really your stereotypical fantasy races, which is always a plus in my opinion, because he goes off the rails of just using tropes of fantasy. So it's set in that world, and in this world, between the outposts are these monsters called leviathans, and they kill humans, and they make it pretty much inhabitable outside of these outposts. So humans are always terrified to go outside. And there's a group of people that do running, like ship runnings, basically their boats but they're on ice, so they're, like, powered by this ancient technology. Like, the Frostheart is part of this technology. Frostheart is the name of the ship. It's also this thing that's in the ship as well. I don't want to give too much away there because that becomes a plot point later on, but it does help, and they use sails and stuff like that. So it's basically a boat, but just more of a sled on ice. It sort of has the same analogies as a boat. So that's very interesting, and of course, the main character is a boy named Ash, not Ash Ketchum. <laughs> but he is joined by his guardian, Tobu, which is a yeti, which is another race that is introduced in this world. And the magic of the world is that some people are able to produce this like magic-like singing but the thing is, is that the Leviathans, the monsters themselves, also sing. So when the humans discover one of their own can do the same magic that the monsters do, they automatically believe that they're in league with the monsters or that they're in, the monsters are in control of the humans, so they're dangerous. So they're always shunned. They're always the outcasts. They're lucky if they don't get kicked out of the colony or the outpost they're at. So, of course, Ash is one of these song weavers, is what they call them. And the town finds out, and so they send him off to live sort of at the outskirts of the town with his guardian, Tobu the Yeti, who is, you know, this gruff, huge beast that has very little levity about him. It's all training, and, you know, it's hard to find a lot of emotion in him. There is a lot of character growth going on throughout the series between him and Ash, and that's honestly one of my favorite parts. But that's sort of the setup, and then the Frostheart is one of these ships that come to Ash's outposts, 
and at this point the village is ready to get rid of Ash, just send him out into the wastelands, into the ice, whether he die or not. And Toby's going to go with him because he's his sworn guardian. But then the Frostheart arrives to do trading or whatnot, and then they end up going as uh, members of the ship. And then Ash meets, you know, his, the captain of the boat, Nook, who's like, she's an amazing character. And then Luna, who is like his new best friend. And I think there's some romance a little bit going on there. Characters are all very well done. None of them feel samey. They all feel like they're different. They all feel like they have different personalities. Pacing of the book is very well done. I didn't feel there were any real slow parts. and also didn't feel like it was just action scene to action scene. I did feel like there was a good bit of world building, but it was done in a very interesting way. It did what a lot of books do when it comes to like worlds being filled with monsters. Yes, there are those monsters out there, but then it also shows the monsters that are in humanity itself and that humans can be some of the scariest monsters. And that's true in the real world, and it's true in a lot of fantasy settings as well. And that is sort of a trope, but I do understand why fantasy authors do that, just because it is sort of representative of our own world. And it's a good juxtaposition between these horrible-looking evil monsters, and then you have what you think is these trustworthy, nice human characters, and they're actually worse than these monsters. So I'm not going to tell you who's the bad guy or what happens or anything like that, but you'll understand what I'm talking about when you read the book. So anyway, on to the cons of the book. I feel the ending of this first book to be a little strange and a little abrupt. Like there is a climax, but then I feel like there's a couple of chapters after and it just sort of just stops. I mean, it's obvious that there's going to be a sequel. I believe this was written with a sequel or two sequels in mind. So I don't think that the author had any inkling of this being just a standalone. And it's very obvious with the end. It's not even, I wouldn't even say it's a cliffhanger. It's more of like you would expect just to turn the page and already be into the next book is how abruptly it ends so that was a little jarring because it was a middle school you know younger audience book some of the humor fell a little flat for me but i understand that this humor was aimed at a younger audience so there were some like more immature jokes in the writing itself like bathroom humor and stuff like that you'll see every once in a while and it's not like that prevalent in the book but it is there and you really don't see that in adult fantasy or adult science fiction and it did sort of just bring me out of the experience because I feel like it was written in there just for the younger audience but it, then again it is for a uh, younger audience I just read this book because I do believe that as an adult, we can gain things from reading books that are directed towards different audiences, whether that be age or race or sexual orientation or anything like that. Reading things aimed towards different perspectives or different ways of life, I think it's important for us all to read those. 
and it just tells a good story. So I do believe that if you can look past the middle school writing and the illustrations, you will find a interesting story. My mom, when she first started it, she wasn't going to read the whole series because she felt like it was too young and childish. So she was just going to read the first book and stop. But then she got towards the end of the first book and she's like, all right, you can bring me the second and third book. I think I really, I really want to read these. They may be childish, but they do tell a good story. So I really can't take points off because that is sort of what the author was aiming for. But just as a subjective qualm with the book, I wish it was told in a more adult way. I do think this setting would be an amazing setting for an adult fantasy, but that's not what the author wanted, and the author has free license to do exactly what he wants to do and tell his stories in whatever way he wants to tell them. I do wish there was a little more description in the world building. There's a lot of things that are sort of glossed over. Like, you're never really sure, is this supposed to be in the future of our Earth? Like, is this, you know, thousands of years after the fall of our civilization of humans, as in our Earth? Or is this a completely different planet? That sort of does get answered in the later novels or the later books, but it really sort of just glosses over that fact in this first book. And it talks about civilizations of humans before the fall, so you're sort of left wondering if they're talking about our humanity. So that was a little strange. But other than that, the world building was was pretty good. So when it comes to the Nerdlog official score for Frostheart by Jamie Littler, I give it the Nerdlog score of 7, which is a definite read, and that is a Nerdlog stamp of approval. Go out, read this book. You won't regret it and you'll most likely end up reading the two sequels which i'll also give reviews for in the coming weeks so changing gears and jumping over into the game of the week of nerd log was the messenger which was a 8-bit side scroller callback to sort of a nes ninja gaiden or ninja gaiden type game you had platforming you had some combat it was you know 2d side scrolling platforming and since it's been almost five years since the game came out i'm not going to ruin the story but there is a change in the graphics and in the style of play that happens so i won't just say it's a 2d level by level homage to ninja gaiden as it is at the first but then it sort of transitions into a 16-bit almost metroidvania light which is really interesting and also that ties into the story and the story i think is really good but even better than the story is the writing i think i love fourth wall breaks especially when it's you can tell the game doesn't take itself too seriously and these fourth wall breaks i think are very well done the writing is hilarious its own point Sometimes it does have a point to it, like some of the uh, stories the shopkeeper will tell or some of the things that will happen if you keep pressing a button when somebody tells you not to press it. 
you'll end up getting locked into a text that you can't skip that goes on for like five minutes. And there may be actually some deeper meaning behind some of those little uh, almost sermons or messages the shopkeeper gives you or little tidbits about life. There may be something there, but also it's just making fun of you for being that persistent person to sit here and press a button for five minutes. But the gameplay itself, these are the pros. The gameplay itself, it's, uh, the jumping is tight. The control scheme, everything is mapped correctly. You feel like when you die, it's usually your fault. There are a couple of cheap enemy placements, but I'll talk about that in a minute. The platforming itself, I sort of compare to something like Celeste. It felt very, very satisfying. Like the graphics themselves look retro, but the platforming is definitely a lot more smooth and precise than something like I was talking about Mega Man from, you know, the late 80s and these last couple of reviews I've had. Those platforming sections can be a little bit wonky at times. This one, the platforming was done almost perfectly. So I put it on the same level as Celeste when it comes for the platforming because there's certain things you need to like do combos to make traversal jumps that you just couldn't, you know, press A and jump across a gap. You would have to press A, jump in the air, hit something, do another double jump, and then latch on something with a grappling hook. It platforming evolves it does start easy but then it gets harder and harder sort of like a game should be i don't think the game overstood its welcome i think i clocked in 12 hours and beat the game that was not 100 percent completing it i did do some optional stuff but i did not do all the optional stuff like the bonus rooms I think that probably would have added another six or seven hours. You probably could get a good 20 hours out of this game if you wanted to 100% it. But I just didn't feel like 100% in it. Usually I don't go for those super challenging platforming sections on games. Like I beat Celeste, but I didn't do any of the B-sides or C-sides or any of that stuff. I just beat the main game. As I've already said, the story itself is a pro. It's very well done. It starts off just being, you think, just like a backdrop for an excuse for a game. Sort of like your early 90s, late 80s platformers like Mega Man or Castlevania or stuff like that where the story behind it isn't the most important. But then you sort of have more storytelling in line with modern gaming going on also. that gets introduced more and more as you get into the game. Just the transformation of what it starts as to what it ends as is unique. I have never seen or played anything like this before. I do believe that indie games are the perfect place for this type of thing to exist because it's such a wonderful and unique idea. And they don't have the corporate overlords, you know, telling them they need to make this game this exact way so they can make this much money you can tell that these developers made this game the exact way they wanted it made they didn't cater for somebody they wanted to set out and get what they wanted across and they did that and they made a great game they told a great story and they were also able to make me laugh which i enjoy in games like this coming to the cons 
just something that comes naturally with anything that is Metroidvania or Metroidvania esque is backtracking. Like that is you're not gonna find a Metroidvania where you don't have to backtrack. That's just part of Metroidvanias. So that is going to happen in here. And I do believe that the backtracking has been done better in other games. Even in the indie scene, I think it's something like Guacamelee. And I think its backtracking was done better than this one. Not to say that this one was done bad, but there were times that I was going back through an area three or four times and it didn't feel that much difference. Like I think the key to a great Metroidvania is to make the backtracking feel just enough different where it doesn't bore you to have to go through the same areas if that's a new traversal mechanic if that's a new even a new background like it went from light to it went from night to day or something like that this has some of that because it does transition between the 8-bit and the 16-bit graphics like i said but after the first time going back that sort of loses its not appeal, but it loses its newness. So I would say that they could have done the backtracking a little bit better. I did mention that there were some annoying enemy placements, and this felt very much like those old late 80s, early 90s, well, actually throughout the 90s, platformers. I don't know if this was intentional to pay homage to those. Maybe it was. But there were certain times where you would jump and there was something off screen and there's no way you could have known it was there until you made the mistake. So like there were times where you would pretty much have to die just so next time you would know what to do to be able to make that. I don't really see how you could go through this whole game on the first time and not die once just because there's some areas that I do believe have some cheap deaths. Some of the enemies that you do encounter are a little bit cheap. And there were a couple times that I don't think the controls were the best. Like every time you hit an enemy or an object, you're able to jump again. So you can jump once, hit something, and then jump again. And then you can keep chaining that as many times as you hit something. And there's sometimes when I was doing that, it's like it would not give me that second jump. And it only happened occasionally, and it happened towards the end when the platforming was getting pretty tough. So it could have just been I was hitting the wrong button or my timing was off, but I do feel like there were some cheap deaths. I do think there were some cheap deaths with the bosses, especially the dragon boss, because you had to jump across the air hitting his fireballs to get those double jumps, and you had to do that from one side of the screen to the other. And it just did not feel like it wanted to work. I mean, I ended up doing it, but I think I died to him maybe the most. No, I died to the Demon Lord, the first one. Not like the Demon Lord you see at the beginning of the game. There's another one in there somewhere. And he was pretty tough. He was very fast. To say this, I didn't mention this in the pros, but I'll throw it back in there. The bosses were all very well done, I think. Except for, like, I think the ones that killed me a little too much. They may be been a little too hard for what the game was going for. Like, I don't think the game was going for super brutal difficulty. It wasn't trying to be a Dark Souls. But most of the bosses were very well balanced. They were offered a fair fight. 
some of the bosses were a little long. So if you got to the very end and then died, you'd have to replay at least, I want to say one boss took me 10 to 15 minutes each run. And that just felt a little bit too much when it comes to this type of game. And there's no like checkpoint between phases or anything like that. So you die at the very end, you have to replay the whole thing. The only saving grace of that is, is that before a boss, there was always like some dialogue or a cutscene or something. The game does recognize that you've already done that once you die. So all that dialogue and stuff is skipped. There may be still a short little animation of the boss like getting ready or whatever, but it is drastically shorter than the first time you attempt the fight, which helped a lot with the frustration. So you could die and then jump back into the fight pretty quickly, which I think eliminates some of the frustration of like Souls games where sometimes the bonfire or whatever device where you saved at was placed a little too far from the boss, so you would fight the boss, die, and if the boss was super hard, you know, you'd have to do that, you know, tens of times, and then you were placed 10 to 15 minutes back from the boss every time you died. So you had not just to fight the boss again, but you also had to fight through the stuff to get to the boss. So this doesn't have that, so I appreciate that. It's sort of values your time for you it doesn't waste any time so and once you beat the bosses there is that accomplishment you get there is no difficulty setting for this game it's just one difficulty it's what it is so when you beat it you're not getting an easy defeat just because you played it on easy you're actually beating what the developers meant for you to play Music was good from what I heard. I didn't play it very loud because I played it mostly while my wife was reading. To me, 8-bit music can get a little bit irritating on the uh, in, on the whole. <laughs> it can be a, a brain worm after a while. I get headaches a little easily, but I wouldn't have turned the sound off, but I did turn it down because I knew it was irritating to her. But once you get into the 16-bit, music changes and you get you know better sound production because you could have better sound in the 16-bit era those tracks were better i do think overall the music was good but i just don't really like listening to hours and hours of 8-bit beeps and boops that may be a uh, sacrilege or a nerd card removed from me to say that but i don't think I could just sit there and listen to that for hours and hours. I do like renditions of classical 8-bit songs, like Legend of Zelda. Amazing, amazing theme. But I couldn't just sit there and listen to that 8-bit jamming out in my car. But if people do renditions with full orchestras, and they do renditions of, you know, maybe a metal version or a folk version, and the music is there it's just the limitations of the day made it just beeps and boops so with all that said i really really enjoyed this game and as the nerdlog official score the messenger played on the ps4 receives an eight which is i think the highest score i have given on the show so far 
I would definitely recommend this game. This is more than just a NerdLog seal of approval. This is a NerdLog recommendation. I would recommend anybody give this a chance to play. If you absolutely, absolutely hate platformers, then I guess you would steer away from it. But anybody that has any inkling of liking platformers, play this game. Very fun, very satisfying, funny. You won't regret playing it. I don't regret playing it. I don't feel like I wasted my time playing it. Uh, very few faults, I think, at least. Like, Of course, it's not a perfect game. As I said, the music, I didn't really care for that much. Cheap deaths, the backtracking, that sort of thing. Did keep it from getting a higher score, but an 8 to me is a, like I said, everybody should play this game unless you have super aversion to platformers. So that is the NerdLog reviews of today's episode. So that brings us to the end of the show. As always, I invite you to follow me on Twitter at NerdLogMedia. Send me a email with any questions, comments, anything at all over to nerdlogmedia at gmail.com. This podcast will be available on Spotify as well as Audible, Apple, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and a few other services as well. I'm trying to get the podcast out as to many different services as i can so for future episodes for listeners you can pretty much get it where you ever you find your podcast or where you enjoy listening to them the most the show should be on there the show will be uploaded first to spotify and then anchor does end up putting those out to the other places that i have given my rss stream so please listen to the show Please drop me a line at the email, follow me on Twitter, and as always, rock on and stay nerdy.